Let's go. I love that energy. Did you guys have a good Easter weekend? Yeah. Heck yeah. How many people went home? Awesome, awesome. I learned something about myself this weekend that I'm like a super hybrid between like an extrovert and an introvert. I don't know if anybody can relate. I realize like I can go one day alone and then I go crazy. I like just discovered this about myself. So if, if you're like a hybrid like me and you want to like give me wisdom, please talk to me at the end of the night because I need to know more about myself. Uh, speaking of being with people, are you guys getting excited for this weekend? Heck yeah. Yeah, super excited for spring camp out. Um, what we didn't mention is that we're going to be having like eight to ten of our students here getting baptized on Saturday. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a celebration as a community. We want you there. Please sign up. Please pay tonight. Uh, we want you there. Come on. Uh, can I have my Bible passers actually come on up? I almost forgot to write that in. So uh, if you don't have a Bible tonight, please raise your hand. We also have journals with us, too. We believe in taking notes. We believe the Lord speaks to us, and we want to remember, and we are humans, and we forget. That's why we take notes in class. Uh, let's take notes tonight. We want to remember what the Lord is speaking to us. So please raise your hand if you want a journal and a Bible. Uh, it is our gift to you. We don't want it back. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible with you, please keep it. We, we don't want it back. It is our gift to you. We're going to be continuing in our series this spring that we have been calling Joining God's Story. Have you guys been enjoying our series so far this spring? Awesome. Hey, we've been talking about how God is a missional God, and he is in the business of bringing humans into a right relationship with him. We see that from Genesis to Revelation in the biblical narrative that God is on a mission movement for you. We learn in the very beginning of Genesis that humans rebelled against God's authority and that God, in response to that, went on a rescue mission and plans on using humans to save humans. So far, we've talked about how God used Abraham to join his story. We talked about how God used Moses to join his story. And tonight, we're going to take a look at how God uses the prophet Isaiah to join his story. But before we jump into Isaiah, I want to ask you guys a question. Have you guys ever experienced, ever had an experience in your life that completely rearranged your priorities in your life? You ever had an experience that completely rearranged your priorities in your life? Maybe it's something as small as today you realize you have a project due tomorrow. <laughs> That's going to rearrange maybe your priorities today. <laughs> it's kind of a miracle you're even here. Uh, maybe on a bigger scale, uh, maybe you've had a near-death experience in your life, uh, and that maybe rearranged your priorities of how you live your life. Maybe in the middle ground, uh, there's somebody cute in the room tonight who started liking you, and you experienced somebody having a crush on you. Maybe that started to rearrange your priorities. Maybe they're asking you to hang out. Last week, you were so busy, you had all this homework, you, had all, you couldn't go to your one-on-one. -on -one. You're wide open this week. <laughs> I am totally free. Every night is free. Every morning is free. Every lunch is free. All my classes got canceled. When do you want to hang out? <laughs> Priorities might have changed a little bit. Uh, for me, uh, this happened to me when I married my beautiful wife, Meredith. Who knows that uh, marriage will change your priorities? Guys, put your hand up. The girl who likes you is looking at you. Put your hand up. Marriage is going to change your priorities. So a miracle happened. The Lord is good. He is real because a woman fell in love with me 
And uh, I was no longer a single guy. I was now a married guy. My priorities began to shift in my life. Date night, boom, priority. Every single week, we're going to prioritize our relationship together. Um, how I interacted with other people changed as well. Um, I found intentionality to spend time with narrative, get to know each other. I also realized kind of the hard truth that when I make plans, it involves Meredith too. So I'm like s making schedule changes off two people now. So I, I got rebuked a couple times uh, for doing that early on. My, my schedule now involves my wife as well. My experience of starting a marriage with my wife it rearranged my priorities in life. And tonight we're going to take a look at how the prophet Isaiah experienced God's presence and God's mission and how that completely rearranged his priorities. Uh, but before we jump in that, let's pray. Jesus, we are here tonight because of you. Uh, we just love you. We want to know more about you. God, I pray that you would be here with us. Lord, use me uh, to speak. Uh, use your word tonight to speak. Your word is alive and active tonight. God, I pray that we would learn so much from Isaiah. We learn about how you, Lord, want to rearrange our priorities in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Uh, no judgment if you've got to use the table of contents. Uh, no judgment at all. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 6, so turn with me to the book of Isaiah, and we'll start in chapter 6. Before we uh, jump in, I'll do a quick history lesson, biblical history lesson, check in on our story so far. Uh, the last time we checked in, uh, we were talking about how Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. Do you guys remember that? We talked about how uh, in their sin and in their rebellion, they were left to wander in the desert for 40 years. Uh, but God eventually gives them the promised land after 40 years. And God, after giving them the land, he promises to be their king and to provide for them. But the silly humans say, we want a human king. Uh, this is like an ultimate slap in the face to the Lord. Humans go, we would, we'd rather be like the other nations who have a human king. Uh, can you do that for us? And the prophets are like, no, don't do that. That's so bad. Don't do that. Like, trust God. They're like, no, we want a human king. So God gives them what they want. And guess what? Uh, things start going south uh, really fast. And this is kind of where Isaiah shows up in our biblical narrative. Uh, Isaiah is a prophet, uh, and prophets were God's messengers to Israel. And they were messengers that were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they would speak God's words to the people, uh, and also they'd speak to the kings of Israel as well. So this is who Isaiah is. This is where Isaiah is showing up kind of in our narrative, and we're going to take a look at his calling. So we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Here we go. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from tongs, taken with tongs from the altar. When with it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull, close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the field ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as, the ter- but as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump and the land. Okay, lots going on here. You probably have a lot of questions. Uh, what's going on? Well, Isaiah just kind of steps into God's like literal presence in the throne of heaven. I need to like kind of ask him like how you do that. That's kind of awesome. He, he just ends up in God's presence. Uh, and there's these seraphim, also known as angels, who are worshiping the Lord. And Isaiah is just instantly like wrecked before God's presence and then forgiven. And then we get a mission to harden people's hearts. It's kind of confusing. So let's jump in. What's happening here? Well, the thing that we see is that Isaiah is experiencing the reality of God's presence and his mission. Isaiah is experiencing the reality of God's presence and mission. So what do I mean by that? What do I mean? Well, have you guys ever had a concept of something become a reality? Think about maybe one of our examples earlier. What, what happens when your concept of marriage, your concept of a spouse becomes a reality? Maybe you have an idea in your head, this is my concept of what my spouse would look like, a concept of what my marriage will look like. Uh, if you choose wisely uh, and you invest in your marriage, uh, you're going to experience something hundreds of times better than what you could ever hope or imagine your marriage to look like. What happens when you're a kid, maybe you were like me, and you're told you're going to go to Disneyland? Maybe not everyone in the room got to go to Disneyland, but I, I did. I'm sorry. Uh, well, you're a kid. You have a concept of Disneyland. I, I've seen Disneyland in, in, you know, on TV. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be awesome. I am so excited. What happens when you actually show up, and you're blown away by what Disneyland actually is. And, and how many of us know that this can happen in reverse, too? We can, have a, we can have a concept of a perfect husband, a concept of a perfect wife, a concept of a perfect marriage. What happens when they aren't perfect? What happens when your marriage is not perfect? What happens when you expect to go, go to Disneyland and no kids are going to puke on your shoes, uh, and there's not going to be any big lines, and then you have the reality of, Yeah, you sit in line for about an hour and a half. (laughs) How many of us know that we can do this with God? How many of us know that that God's presence and mission can be viewed as a concept by us? And how many of us know that when God is a concept and when God's mission is a concept, we we can kind of make him look however we want him to look like. God can be shaped. He can be molded to look how we think he should look like. We can have his mission be shaped to look like what we think it should look like. In the book Radical uh, by David Platt, highly recommend, 
He talks about the danger of worshiping an American Jesus who gives you everything you want, nothing's hard, you get all the blessings, you're going to get rich, huge retirement account, all these things. Is that really who Jesus is? Before we know it, we're worshiping our version of Jesus, not the true king. For Isaiah here, God is no longer a concept. God is very much a reality to Isaiah. Do you see that? Do you notice how Isaiah's not confused at all by who he's seen? He's not like, who are you? What? Who are you? He, he understands God as a concept. He's not thrown off by who he sees. He's not asking, who are you? Oh, he knows who he's in the presence of. In God's reality, no longer can God be shaped and molded as a concept. He's just right there to Isaiah. He's experiencing the fullness of God's presence and calling. And God's beauty, I guarantee it, goes leagues and leagues and leagues beyond what Isaiah's concept of God could ever be. Can I ask you, have you experienced the reality of God in your life? Is God a reality to you, or is he still a concept? Because the reality of God is about to transform Isaiah's priorities. It's about to totally rearrange his priorities. So what does the reality of God do to Isaiah? There's two things we'll talk about tonight. The first is that God's reality rearranges Isaiah's identity. And the second is that God's reality rearranges his mission. So point number one, God rearranges Isaiah's identity. Let's take a look at verses one through seven again. Follow along with me. Verse 1, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken from tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So why is this experience of God's reality so impactful to Isaiah's identity? You guys remember last week how we talked about Moses, and he was just like uber stubborn about God's calling. He was just going to consistently ask, like, Lord, please don't use me. Please don't use me. Please don't use me. And God is like, dude, I am going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. Until Moses is like, just please pick somebody else. And God is like, okay, I'll send your brother. Okay, I'll send your brother with you. He can speak, but go. I'm going to be with you. Now, Isaiah's experience and Isaiah's calling is quite different than Moses. Uh, where Moses was adopted into the royal family, Isaiah's background is he actually is royal family. Isaiah was in an elite class of Israelites. He had an elite level education and training like nobody else had. And on top of that, Isaiah is extremely gifted. 
if you read the book of Isaiah and you truly dive in, I mean, it's probably going to take a lifetime. Talk to Michael. Uh, no offense, Michael. But <laughs> uh, you will see why scholars gush over Isaiah's incredible ability to write. He's called the Prince of Prophets for a reason. He's extremely talented. He's a great communicator. He's a great writer. He's brilliant. He's extremely gifted. Do you think that Isaiah might, I'm just speculating here, but I know humans, uh, do you think Isaiah might have had a high view of himself? Do you think he might have felt kind of unique, gifted, maybe even had unique favor from God? This Isaiah comes into the presence of God. What does he say? He goes, woe is me. That's English for I am literally screwed. He literally is like, oh my gosh, I am toast. Now, it's okay. Some of us in the room are going to be questioning, okay, this doesn't make sense. So God's presence makes Isaiah feel like he's going to be eliminated, he's going to be blasted, like, like he feels like, I'm, woe is me, like wh- what does that mean? I don't understand. Isn't God supposed to make me feel good about myself? Well, yes and, and no. Let me ask you, how, how do you respond when you're in the presence of the most beautiful people on campus? How do you respond when you're in homes and you're kind of having lunch and let's just say like the five most beautiful people on campus come and they sit right next to you? Are you like, oh my gosh, I am just so thankful to be in your presence. Like, you are just beautiful. This is awesome. Or are you like, yo, they are really attractive. I am not attractive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> Lord have mercy. Okay, how, okay. <laughs> how about my smart people in the room? Okay. Imagine you, freshman year through senior year, have the same class with the smartest person in your entire field. They are perfectly smart. They know every single answer to every single question, and you're always their partner. Every single time they answer in class, everyone's like, yo, that was a good answer, and you're like, how are you going to feel about yourself? Are you going to be like, I'm just so thankful to be in your intellectual presence, or are you like, dude, I'm not as smart as you. You can be aware of your lack of intelligence. You're aware of your lack of beauty. This happened to me literally last week in homes. Some homie comes in just shredded. Like, like I'm not, like, I'm not under-exaggerating. This dude is shredded. Like, B to the, yeah, dude. This guy's, like, absolutely shredded. And my initial thought is, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I am not as jacked. I am not as jacked as this guy. I am instantly aware of my lack of muscles. I'm going to keep walking back with you. (laughs) So if you respond this way to a human being, now imagine how are you going to respond in the presence of God? How are you going to respond in the perfect presence of your creator? What does that mean? In order to understand the holiness of God, we first have to understand our lack of it. In order to understand the full holiness of God, we have to first understand our lack of it on our own. Isaiah had every reason to believe highly of himself. Woe is me. Isaiah experienced the full presence, the full glory of God 
And in the perfect presence, the perfect reality of God, Isaiah is instantly aware of how not perfect he is. Well, what's going to happen? Is he going to actually be eliminated before God? Is God going to actually wipe him out? What happens? Well, the seraphim come, they bring a burning coal, and they touch Isaiah's lips, and they say, your sin is atoned for and your guilt is taken away. Do you realize that I'm not kidding when I say Isaiah fully expected to be wiped from the face of the planet in God's presence. He literally meant, I am ruined. I am toast. I am gone for. The, the presence of fire, like in the Old Testament, God's fire is a, it's a, a, an imagery of judgment, God's righteous judgment. Like when God's fire comes, it's like God is judging righteously right now. So Isaiah's looking at a seraphim coming at him with a coal, and he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> God's judgment's coming, and what happens? Does God's, God's righteous judgment eliminate him? No. It eliminates his sin. The first thing to get rearranged in God's presence is Isaiah's identity, how he sees himself. No longer is he ruined before God's holy presence. He's completely forgiven. He's completely loved, and he's probably more secure than he's ever been in his entire life. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine going from a situation where you are saying, I'm about to be obliterated to being completely safe? Imagine you're on the freeway, you're on, you're literally looking at a head-on car crash, it's completely your fault, you're in the split second before you're about to die, you realize I'm about to get in a head-on car crash, and in the split second you're in the passenger seat, God is driving the car, and he pulls you off to the side, you're completely safe, looks at you and says, man, I love you. Man, I'm just happy to be with you. This is the sort of transformational identity that Isaiah is experiencing in God's reality. Have you experienced this type of transformational identity in God's reality? Have you joined God's story in how you see yourself? Have you accepted about what he says about you? Do you know that God, the most holy, the most powerful being in existence, he loves you, forgives you? Not only that, he wants you to join his story that he's writing. Do you understand your need for his saving? The reality of God's presence completely rearranges our identity. The next thing we see uh, is that God's reality rearranges Isaiah's mission. So let's take a look at uh, verses 8 through 13. You can read along with me. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. He said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted, excuse me, and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again laid waste, 
But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Okay, so what's happening here? Well, if you don't know, at this time in Israel's history, uh, they're not doing very much listening and obeying to God. Remember how we talked about in our first week that God's call for us, the original command was to image him to the world. We're to co-rule with God under his authority. Okay, Israel was not doing that. Quite the opposite. They were not imaging God. They were not showing the world who God was. They were imaging the devil and blatantly disobeying God's commands. It was really bad. And Assyria at that time was threatening the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms, and they were a huge threat to Israel. And Israel's freaked out, and God is saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. And they go, we're going to trust Egypt. We're going to trust humans instead. God goes, okay. And this is where Isaiah is invited to minister to Israel. It's in the midst of united rebellion. It's in the midst of not obeying God. It's in the midst of trusting human beings and not God. And this is where God speaks to Isaiah. And notice how God invites Isaiah to minister to the people in this time. Now, if I'm thinking, if I'm Isaiah here, and this is not even me, I'm going, okay, I got a lot of talents. I got born into an awesome family. I've got access to the kings. All right, we're going to do like a major work here, right? We're going to totally transform our community, right? This, these people are going to just walk in obedience because, like, I'm super gifted. And, like, you've given me all these abilities. Like, oh, yeah, you called me. This is going to make sense. We're going to change everyone's heart. And we're not going to be destroyed. Uh, no. He says, I'm going to ask you to preach to the people, the leaders, um, speak their truth. Uh, but they're going to be destroyed one day, and they're going to be led into exile again because of their disobedience and their lack of trust. Not only that, you're going to be hated by everyone. You're going to be mocked. Uh, and you're going to die before you see any of my fulfillment. That's pretty heavy. God rearranges Isaiah's concept of what the mission is. Isaiah was going to have to trust God even when Isaiah wasn't going to see the fruits of the labor. Now, let's, let's not think that God is, like, stoked to, like, cast these people away. This is not at all true. Um, God is literally trying to reach the people. We, we know God's character. We know God's heart. God is not against Israel, but he recognizes in Israel, these people are just not going to listen. But I need you to go and speak otherwise. Like, man, God really cares. He's still calling Isaiah to go, even when he knows they're not going to listen. Can I ask, how would you respond if this was like your mission statement? How, how would you respond if you knew that you weren't going to see any fruit in your life of discipleship? How would you respond if joining God's story meant you were going to be disrespected by other people? You're going to be mocked for what you believe in, maybe hated for sharing the truth with someone? How would, how would you respond to that? I think a fair question that I would ask you in response to this is, why are you joining God's story? Why? Why, am, why are we joining God's story? What, what's the purpose of joining God's story? Is it for accolades? Is it for success? Or is it simply out of love for God? Why are, we, why are we joining the story? I'll never forget the first time I led core, and I expected all my guys to just love me, uh, to think so highly of me, for me to just be like, yeah, like you're my favorite person, Brandon. Uh, turns out it made them mad a lot. Like a lot. They, they didn't like it when I encouraged them to stop sinning. Th they didn't like it when I challenged them to follow Jesus seriously. I had, I had people tell me they don't want to be my friend anymore because I'm following Jesus. I became an object of awkward interactions when I saw people on campus who had ghosted me. 
and they saw, turn around, <laughs> they ghosted me. But why was I facilitating a core? Why was I making disciples? Is it to make God famous? Is it to make me famous? Why, why was I making disciples? Why am I joining God's story? Isaiah's hit with like the least sexy mission statement of all time. Go and harden these people's hearts and get rejected. What does he say? How long? How long, Lord? All right, how, how long, Lord? What? Why does he respond this way? I would say and argue that Isaiah was on mission not because the mission was what he needed, but because he already had everything he needed. Isaiah was on mission not because the mission was what he needed, but because he already had everything he needed. He had the Lord Almighty. Isaiah saw the beauty of God's salvation. He experienced the beauty of God's salvation before his very presence, and he realized, yeah, I have everything I need right here. God alone is all I, I need. Do you view God this way? Do you see him as the only thing you need, the only one you need in your life? Do you say, Lord, what is my mission? Lord, what is my calling? What is the good works in my life you've got planned before me? Do you ask him that question knowing you already have everything you need just in him? Worship team, you guys can start to make your way up as we come to a close. I want to close by asking you guys a couple questions. Uh, the first is I, I want to ask, how, how do you know if you've experienced God's reality? How do you know if you've experienced God's reality? How do I know if he's still concept in my mind or, or if I've experienced the reality of God in my life? Well, I want to ask you three reflection questions tonight to help you answer this question. Pretty simple. Uh, the first question is just how do you see God? Second question is how do you see yourself? And the last question is how are you rearranging your priorities for God's kingdom? How do you see God? How do you see yourself? How are you rearranging your priorities for God's kingdom? How do you see God? Plain and simple. Do you, do you see him as who he says he is? Do you see him as loving, merciful, just, beautiful, holy, worthy of everything you have, enough for you? Or is he still a concept uh, that you can tweak and adjust kind of how you want him to look like? Or do you really know who he is? And it's okay if you're still discovering this reality. It's totally okay. I, I just ask you, are you willing to seek him out truly uh, and know him? Are you willing to read your Bible and pray and seek him out? Are you willing to study historical events that involve Jesus? Are you willi willing to look at the Bible's validity and say, is this true or not? Are you willing to seek this out or are you just content with seeing God as a concept? Or do you really want to know him? Second question is, how do you see yourself do you, like Isaiah, recognize your lack of holiness outside of God? Do you realize your need for Jesus' death and resurrection? Do you understand that? Do you know that about yourself? And then I'd ask you, do you know how deeply loved and how forgiven you are right now? And do you know that you have giftings from the Lord that he wants to use in your life? How do you see yourself? Do you see as yourself as someone who has gifts that God wants to use, that God loves? Do you think differently about yourself 
I'd ask, have you experienced the reality of God yet? And our last question is, how are you rearranging your priorities for God's kingdom? Can I ask, has your life changed since you started following Jesus? Are you learning God's ways? Are you applying them? Has he become a reality? Do you make time for him every day? Are you, are you trying to reach people with the good news of Christ? Are you making disciples? How has your life changed? How is he rearranging your priorities? Are you letting him do that? Has it become a reality? Because guys, joining God's story, it takes rearranging it in our identity and our mission. I'll pass it off to the worship team.